Cowcast is delivered by FedEx. FedEx can help your business simplify e-commerce and your shipping operations. And FedEx Automation provides retailers with shipping solutions that enable them to process shipments quickly and easily. See how FedEx can help your business grow and save time on shipping. Visit FedEx.com slash e-commerce to learn more. That's FedEx.com slash e-commerce. Hello, folks. Coach Cal from the CalCast. Today, just a special guest um, that can make you think different about how you're doing things or how you're approaching things and as you gain success, how to deal with it. Larry Fitzgerald, wide receiver for the Arizona Cardinals. I wanted to talk a little bit about this upcoming tournament we have. Uh, We're in the SEC tournament in Nashville. Um, Trying to get my guys to have a vision of the big picture, which is got to start games better. Got to look to play for 40 minutes how we are in different points of different games. Uh, Talking about we need to speed up the game a little bit. We need to play a little faster. We've learned to grind. We had no idea early in the season if we had to grind out a game how to do it. We do now. We know how to do up 16. We know how to do down 16. Um, we know how to go at Bam if we need to. We know how to go at Malik if we need to. We can go pick and roll. Um, we're being a little more disruptive defensively. We're playing pick and rolls better. We're trying to figure out ways uh, of guarding isolations where people are trying to go at specific players of ours. The biggest thing is... We have a lot of good players who are playing good right now. Now they just got to bring it all together. Uh, I'm excited uh, going forward, and I've said it. um, I'm in the best frame of mind that I've been in in my time here. I I can look back and say, hey, there were some other seasons I felt really good, but I'm not sure if I felt this good. Now that doesn't mean anything. It just means that we're getting closer. We're still not peaking, but we're getting closer. Now we're going to spend a little time with our friends from Blue Apron. Let me get Ellen. Ellen! And here she comes. Why don't we talk about the stew you made? Because it was really good. She did leave out the mushrooms, but the stew was good. It was a lamb, beef, and mushroom stew. And I know mushrooms are one of your favorite things. Yeah, so you left them out. (laughs) I did. Um... It was very good. Had Parmesan potatoes. I like with those. It. Yeah, I'm not a big potato guy, but sliced really thin with the Parmesan baked in. It was good. Yep, roasted them. It was it was a very good meal. I liked it. And and what did I help you with? Uh, nothing again. I did I help you eat the food? You did, and you liked it. I did, and Brad liked it too. He came by and tried some, right? <laughs> he did. He liked it. He did. It the stew, good. home run, the stew. Incredible home cooking has never been made more attainable thanks to Blue Apron. Because for less than $10 a meal, Blue Apron delivers easy-to-follow seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients right to your door. Some of the meals available in March include pork chops and miso butter with bok choy and marinated apple, vegetable chili 
and baked sweet potatoes. Their sweet potatoes baked are really good with crispy tortilla strips. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping right to your door by going to blueapron.com slash coach. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash coach. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Now, today's guest is Larry Fitzgerald. Truly a class act. Obviously a great football player, future Hall of Famer. But a, a person, when you listen to him, you understand why he's thought of the way he is. Played at the University of Pittsburgh, which is why I'm a fan of his and followed him. He went there in 2004 out of Minnesota. And you say, in Big Ten country, you went to Pittsburgh, he talks about it. In 2003, he won the Bolitnikoff and Walter Camp Award in college. Uh, third overall pick. Ten-time Pro Bowler. In 2009, he was the MVP of the Pro Bowl. Went to the Super Bowl 2008 against my Steelers. Steelers. They lose 27-23. Holds nine, nine NFL receiving records, including most touchdown receptions in postseason eight, most receptions in a postseason 30, most receiving yards in a postseason 546. Holds six Cardinal franchise records. Career receiving yards, 14,389. Receiving touchdowns, 104. Receptions, 1,125. But probably the biggest award he will ever get in the NFL, he got into Walter Payton, NFL Man of the Year. So when you look at him as a player and as a man, it will come through in this conversation as we sit, have a cup of coffee, and you sit at the table with us and enjoy. I hope you look at this and say, man, am I glad I listened to this conversation. i got a great guest, special guest today, Larry Fitzgerald. You know, the reason I've been a big fan is because he played at Pitt where I grew up. And I've always kept an eye. It didn't matter where I was, where I was working. I'd always keep an eye on pit basketball, pit football. Look, since the days of Johnny Majors, Jackie Sherrill, Foge Fazio, oh, yeah. Oh, before your time, Larry, I was following pit football. And so I've been a fan. I've watched you. Uh, but you came from Minnesota. Tell me how how did that how did you go from Minnesota, Big Ten country? They didn't know about you, and then you how did <laughs> no. that happen? <laughs> no, coach, I had scholarships to to all of the schools in the Big Ten, um, but University of Pittsburgh was the first. Um, and so when when I got a scholarship offer from them my freshman year, I just I felt like there was a, a special connection there, and then the relationship that I was able to establish with Coach Harris. Um, over those years, you know, I really felt like he cared about me on a level that wasn't just as an athlete. He cared about me as a man. He wanted uh, the best for me, and and that's why I really, really just had a great appreciation for him. I mean, how'd you meet him as a ninth grader? I mean, where, where how how would you meet 
like for me right now, I can't worry about ninth graders. I have guys on my staff do it. We're trying to sign seniors because I'm losing my whole team. Yes, sir. And in football, as a ninth grader, what were you at a camp? Were you how how did that how did that happen? No, it was my freshman year of high school. So after my freshman year of high school, that's when the interest kind of picked up from them. And and you know, it was just an exciting time for me. Um, and uh, one of my high school coaches, coached at Temple, he knew one of the assistants at Pitt, and that's kind of how I got on their radar. He was telling them about me, and that's kind of how the relationship started. Wow. Isn't that amazing how stuff works out? And then you're one of those guys, Larry, you're one of those loyal souls that if you're with me, I'm with you till death. And and so they they get to where through different disassistance, someone's cousin to the uncle, and they start on you, and they get a player like you at Pittsburgh from Minnesota. I can't – I mean, that's like storybook stuff. How about this one? I, I was a ball boy. When I grew up, I was the basketball ball boy. I was the baseball. I used to put the bats like in a circle, not a circle. You know how you line them up on each other so they're kind of twisted around, you know? And yes, yes, and I was uh-huh. I was like in third and fourth grade. I wore the tie, the clip-on little tie, and went to the basketball <laughs> games. Went you 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 were a ball boy. How did how did you become the ball boy to some of this stuff? Well, Coach, I had the most unbelievable childhood you could ever think of. My dad, being a journalist in the Twin Cities area uh, for the last 35 years, it it allowed me to have some of the most uh, unbelievable experiences. So if it was shooting around with Kevin Garnett after, you know, Timberwolves basketball practice or meeting Michael Jordan and Maddie Johnson and Shaquille O'Neal um, and some of the great players in the NBA or catching foul balls, you know, at at, at at one o'clock, you know, at a twins at a twins uh, batting practice with Kirby Puckett, um, or being a ball boy for the Minnesota Vikings for many years, you know, I had an unbelievable experience. I was able to be around some of the greatest athletes in all different sports, and I got a chance to see their work ethic. I got a chance to see what makes them different. You know, everybody gets to see what LeBron James looks like when he's playing, but nobody sees the hard work and dedication that he puts in to make him great. And I got a chance to see great players work ethic and their desire and their passion to improve. And I think when I was young, that gave me a, a, a huge, a huge leg up on everybody else because I saw what it took. I, you know, amazing stuff. And and it got you to dream, I imagine, because I you won't believe this. I wasn't the athlete you were, but don't tell anybody that. I was small, <laughs> but I was slow. So I, but being that guy and having those guys, they treated me like family. I'm third and fourth grade. I was leaving school to go on the bus to go with the baseball team or the basketball team at night. My parents let me do it. And uh, the reason for me is I lived literally 30 feet from the high school. Like, we were right at the high school. So I was always in the gym and always up there. But it inspired me. Um, the high school coach at the time, he was the JV coach, became the high school coach is still one of my mentors and friends. But it got me to dream. And it also got me to dream about coaching. I mean, I can't imagine you looking and saying, I want to be one of these guys. Yeah, it was it was really something special. And like you said, it's, it all starts with a dream. Um, but the thing that was so awesome about my dream is that most people dream about things that are kind of out of touch. You know, I had Kevin Garnett's phone number. I could reach out and touch, touch Chris Carter, and I can ask these guys, what they did to make themselves successful. So my dream was was tangible because I could touch it. I could I could talk to it. I could be around it. I could emulate it. 
Um, and so I think that's the thing that was so unique about it for me. Yeah, you know, I, I sometimes wish, I, I love it when I go in a high school gym and all the little kids, they have like ball boys and in, 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 in sixth grade teams and they're watching the high school teams. And I walk in because I'm saying those kids are doing what you and I did, which is be able to yeah. emulate, to look, to be able to dream beyond our surroundings and say, look, this is unique. I can do this and then have a different mindset. I, I think it's great. What, what about this? How much are you following um, Carl Towns right now in Minnesota? Are you watching any of that? Oh, yeah. I, I follow him. Uh, got a chance to meet him two years ago um, right before his rookie. Or I'm sorry, going into his sophomore season with the Timberwolves. And, you know, I really love just the kind of person he is. He's, he's very active in the community in, in Minneapolis. He's always out um, being proactive and being a great example for the youth up there. I really love his charisma. Um, his energy, you know, the passion he plays with every single day. And I think him and him and Wiggins together are going to be a formative force for a long time. Yeah, and, you know, he, he's kind of like you and, and what you've done in the Walter Payton Award, which is kind of like Anthony Davis getting the Community Assist Award in the NBA. And uh, John Wall got it last year. And, 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 you know, these kids, it's amazing the heart that they have for other people. A lot of it's how they were – taught how they were where they grew up where they don't forget their past and Carl is one of those guys what do you think as a player I mean where do you see him as a player well to me I think he's uh he's right there at the top I mean you look at some of the bit the, the best bigs in the game right now um you know he, he's right there with them you know he's he's right there with with AD and and and, and obviously uh Marcus All and uh, some of these other players who, who I think are fantastic and, and doing it at a high level. Um, DeMarcus Cousins, too, you got to put in there. So I think he's right there, um, and I think the future is extremely bright for him. All right, let's talk uh, LeBron James. How about LeBron James, Michael Jordan? We'll get right to it. <laughs> you know now, you, you're talking about two. Yeah, I know you start laughing. Don't do that to me. LeBron um, James, you know, Michael if I'm, Jordan. If I'm taking player right now. I mean, I. I think you gotta you gotta you top you gotta take you know Michael Jordan you know because I, I think his body of work is complete but LeBron has got a, another five or six good quality years you know still um, yeah isn't it amazing How, we we've been watching him for like twenty years it seems like and he's still got five yeah left. I know it, it just, and he's one of the rare few that I think as high of expectations as he had when he came out of high school I think he has almost exceeded the expectations that people would have for him. I mean, as great of a player as he has been, um, you know, I remember watching him driving his, his little, little car around in, 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 uh, in, uh, in the gym when he was in high school at St. Vincent Mary. And like, I, just to watch him grow, I feel like it's just, it's been, uh, you know, epic experience. Well, he is, uh, again, one of the most loyal guys that you'll ever meet. Um, never forgets where he came from yet driven and wired to win championships. And um, again, you think about what he did with his shooting from when he walked in the league until now. I mean, you, yeah, you, yeah. you're talking about, he was shaky early. It was shaky. It was hitter. It literally was a hit or miss. And it was more of a mindset than anything else. And now you look at him now, he expects to make every shot and it's, he's wired and driven. And, and Michael, everybody they'll ask me and I'm like, how can you not say Michael 
And I agree with you. The yeah. other body of work is not done yet. And that doesn't mean one is, you know, and they're in two, two different kind of, you know, Michael did it with athleticism and, and, and LeBron did both size, bully, speed, all that stuff. Uh, how about someone asked me this one? And I know you're a basketball Benny, so I can ask you. What about Derrick Rose healthy, John Wall? Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I've always been a huge Derrick Rose fan. I love John Wall, but I think when Derrick is healthy and he's playing the way he's capable of playing, he moves at a different pace, Coach. I mean, nobody can stay in front of him when when he's playing um, healthy and confident. I mean, those years early on when he was in Chicago, I mean, he was hands down – uh, the most dominant player in the game, um, and and I just really hope that you know he can he can get his game back and his body back to that. Yeah, and you know, coaching both of them, um, Derek, uh, he was another guy, and John, and John right now, you know, he's now trying to leave le- legacy, just like you are. I mean, you get to that point in your career where, all right, I know who I am. I've done all these things. I've set these records. I've done this. Now, what do I want to leave? When I'm done playing, what's my legacy? He's in the same boat as you. And Derek, the injury has set him back. And, and I don't know if in football it's the same where a guy's really speed and quickness and athleticism is a big part of what he does. And when a little bit of that is taken away, it changes you know, how quickly he gets mm-hmm. to a hole or how, how fast he can get to the outside. And I don't know in football if it's yeah, the same. It's the same, um, coach. And, but Larry Bird mm-hmm. figured it out. I mean, there are players who figured out – like Larry Bird was an athlete when he mm-hmm. walked in that league. And then when that back hit him, he changed mm-hmm. a little bit. And he, wore, he was more about his skill and his uh, spacing and his angles. And, and, but people forget – the athlete he was. And I think Derek's got to figure that out. Would you agree with that? I completely understand. And there's a lot of parallels into what you were saying at that point. I, I, for myself, had that same transformation a few years ago. You know, I started my career, I was a, I played outside the numbers at X, you know, the same way Julio, Brown, Julio Jones or Odell Beckham or Antonio Brown played. And, you know, when I got Coach Aarons came in, he said, he wanted to move me inside and, and I play primarily inside now, but it's definitely extended my career. I'm still just as productive, but I have to do it in a different way. You know, being able to run and jump and um, just play that outside game is similar to a point guard being able to get to the basket anytime he wants. Now you have to use angles a little bit more. You got to get your shot off a little, a little bit more pick and roll opportunities, but it, it's not to say that you can't do what you, you used to do. It's just that you can't do it as frequently. And I think, Mentality-wise, you have to understand what your abilities are and, and, and the things that you can and you can't do. Let's take a quick time out. While so much of the focus this month will be on our incredibly talented players, the success of our program starts with our incredible staff, the players off the court that do so much. Just like the team that you work with, our team is made up of so many talented individuals that help us perform at our best each and every day. Each member of our staff is instrumental in helping our program achieve its goals. Amazing people, like my personal assistant, Lanitha Pryor, who I've worked with for nearly 20 years, are the type of individuals that have meant so much to our program and me over the years. You don't find amazing people like Lanitha by accident. When you're hiring, you need to be able to find the very best candidates, and with ZipRecruiter, you can. 
with ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter. And ZipRecruiter lets you add multiple people to your account. It's the most efficient way for your team to find the best tire. No more juggling emails or calls to your office. With ZipRecruiter, quickly scan candidates, rate them, and hire the right person fast. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash Coach Cal. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by more than 1 million businesses. One more time, to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Coach Cal. March is here, my favorite month of the year. If you're listening to this podcast, there's no doubt you'll be enjoying some great college basketball over the next few weeks. As you gather with colleagues, friends, and family to take it all in, let's make the experience even better with Papa John's. Papa's got a great special going on, and it's only available for a limited time. Check this out. Large two-topping pizzas, including my favorite, the pan pizza, are only $9.99 each. Now that's some madness. Order on Papa John's mobile app or at papajohns.com. And don't forget, you can use my exclusive promo code, Coach Cal. You'll get 25% off your regular menu price order on anything you'd like, any day of the week. The offer is good at participating stores in the U.S. only. Again, order papajohns.com or on the Papa John's mobile app to get either of these incredible deals from our pizza family at Papa John's. Better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. In football, and again, I'm a huge fan of football, especially my Steelers, and, and people go crazy, but I, I love the Pats. I mean, I can love the Yankees and the Red Sox. I don't care what anybody mm-hmm. says. I do. Um, and I, But I remember their old teams. Um, but let me ask you, in – 2008, you had a heck of a year. You were It was unbelievable. And your team lost to my Steelers in the Super Bowl. I mean, can you talk to people about how painful? I mean, you know, you're, you're talking about a painful game for the Falcons this year. I mean, I mean, I can't even imagine staff, everybody associated, owners that – you lose that game and you come that far. I mean, tell me what it was like in 2008. Coach, it's, it's really one of the most gut-wrenching experience you can ever have. I mean, obviously, you dealt with it, um, you know, getting to the, to the championship game and, and not being able to, to win it. I mean, it's it's bitter. It's uh, it's hard for you to, to stomach. And uh, But I think, it, if anything, it, it kind of sharpens your resolve. It, it, uh, it allows you to understand that you're not there. Um, and there's work to be done. And so I think uh, as a man, um, if it matters to you, you go back and you retool, you, you continue to improve and do everything you can to put yourself back in that position, which is never easy. But I think it just, uh, it, it hardens you. It makes you truly appreciate uh, how difficult it is to have sustained success. And, uh, you know, when I look at teams like the Patriots, and there's a lot of people who have a lot of detractors, but you can't argue with greatness. What they've been able to accomplish over the last decade or so has, has really, really been astonishing. And um, and you have to tip your hat to those guys. You know, it's it's uh, here was my take, and I want to hear your take on the game. It wasn't that Atlanta – I wish they would have run the ball and kicked the field goal, okay? 
so that you could see what could have happened and it, it didn't end the way it did. One, I don't mean that, that I didn't want the Pats to win because I did. But I felt bad for those guys, like, because I'm a coach, I'm in this sport, and I know how this stuff goes. I mean, we lost a national championship up nine with 240 to go, missed five of six free throws down the stretch, and a kid makes a three to go into overtime. It hit the light in the Superdome. Somehow the ball went that high, hit a light up on the ceiling, and then bounced off the top of the backboard and went in, and it goes to overtime, and we lose the game. Um, I, that's gut-wrenching, but... I thought the Patriots, all they needed was a break or two, and then they just said, we're going to do what we do and hope that they – because the Falcons had to break down a little bit for them to win. If the Falcons hadn't broken down, the Pats don't win. But if the Pats don't make play after play, they don't win either. So you got to just say, I'm not worried – I mean, what would be your take? I mean, when, when you watched the did you watch the game and watch it in its entirety? Or, you know, I, I don't know there. if you're like me. You were there. Yeah, was, See, you're crazy. I was, I, was, when, I was there, and I watched every single minute of it. I told people prior to the game that the Falcons were the more talented team. They were the, the team that had the most superstars or talent. But you could never undervalue experience and being there and understanding um, – you know, what it takes to be able to persevere. The Patriots have come from behind and won Super Bowls before. The Atlanta Falcons have never been in that position. So when they were up, you know, 20-plus points, um, the Patriots players never hung their heads. They never believed that they couldn't come back and win that game. And all they needed to do was have a play that maybe swung the momentum. And they got that as soon as the second half began when, when Hightower was able to get that strip fumble. Um, and that kind of changed the game. That put doubt in, in the Falcons mind and they became defensive and you know when you give a great team a wonderful coach and the best quarterback and player to ever play the game that kind of confidence and momentum it's tough to stop and and but they had to make plays one after the other and if anybody got off script they were losing could you and you're right it's experience it's the culture it's all that but the falcons had to help them and you got to hope And, and we didn't know if the Falcons were going to help. I mean, we didn't yeah. know that that fumble would happen or, you know, the, 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 the sack. You know, I mean, you, did, you just didn't know, but you, you hoped if you were a Patriots fan. Yeah, I completely agree. I think we saw that a little bit last night with, your, with, your, with the Wildcats. You know, it, when I was watching that game in the second half, I, there was some doubt in my mind, Coach. There was a little doubt in my mind. <laughs> All right, boys, are you like me, though? Fought, they found a way to they get it done. Find- it was it, hey, I, I was on the seat of my I was on the seat of my chair. I was on the, <laughs> on the edge of my seat at the bar last night, and uh, I was pulling hard. I was pulling hard for y'all. All right, let me tell you how I think. And I told the guys after, and I'm trying to get them to think like me. Forget score. Whatever the score is, your thought has to be: How are we going to win this? It can't ever be: Oh my God, we're going to lose. No, yeah. how are we going to win this? Um, if we're up. I'm always saying, all right, we need four more baskets. We get four more baskets, they don't have enough time to catch us. To try to get the momentum toward us all the time, even if we're up five baskets, four baskets, six. I'm trying to get them to think attack. And and it's funny, you're talking about the Vanderbilt game last night. We were down, and I didn't really know we were down 19 because I don't look at the scoreboard all the time. I want to see a clear vision of how we're playing and they made every shot. Are you ready? 
And as you know, yeah. we missed every shot. So you're going to be down 19. I didn't know if it was 19, but I knew it was a lot. I don't like calling timeouts, especially late in the season, unless it's a game, you know, in the second half where you have to do it. The reason is I want them to figure it out themselves. You get figure this out. Because if we're ever going to win in March, it's not going to be me calling timeouts. It's going to be the game is happening. You all figure it out. And and when you watched last night, um, how about what do you think of Malik Monk? I mean, oh this goodness. kid. <laughs> he is a he is a stud, coach. He is a stud. Yeah, he's been fun to watch him. Uh, no, I, I he was on my radar, you know, in, in, until um, you guys played against Kansas earlier in the year. And, uh, and after I saw him play that game, I said, my goodness, this, this young man, he has a bright, bright future. You know, and he's a good kid. Um, he's not, he's 19, so he's not patient enough. He mm -hmm. still will take some craziness, but his craziness is down to one or two plays now a game. It was 15, and it was driving me crazy. But he is as talented an offensive player as I've ever coached. And um, he's getting better defensively and all those things. I mean, we've had two games down 15, 16, 19, and figured out a way to fight. What happens in a football game? Because I've seen teams be up 21 and the, the, the other team comes back. And, you know, the, the old, I think it was John Madden said, all prevent defense does is prevent you from winning. I mean, how, <laughs> how in football, how in football, do teams – how do you stick together when you look up and you're like, it's three touchdowns, man, it's halftime. What the hell are we going to do? Well, you have to realize that there's only there's only a couple guys in that building at that point that believe that you can win, and they have to be the guys that are breaking your huddle. Um, it just takes one, one play, one sequence to be able to get that team to believe that maybe this lead isn't enough to keep them from coming back and winning. You just got to put some doubt – and they're mine, and you got to continue to always believe that you can get the job done, Coach. I know there's a guy, a friend of ours, Greg Darbershire, last night when I texted him in the game, he 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 didn't believe that that you guys had what it took to get it done. I believed it, but Greg, Greg, he, he, he said it. <laughs> That's he Greg. Said he, it, don't he, he don't believe anything. He don't believe. I in know, us. Coach. I know. I know. <laughs> hey, but can I tell you? I think there were a lot of people in our gym that felt the same way he felt. <laughs> the, good, the good news is they were in the seats and they weren't in our huddle. And, yeah. uh, you know, it, it's this, this thing here, it's, it's a combination and things have changed. And, and I want to talk to you about some changes in the NFL, but things have changed in college basketball. What has changed is social media. Now, yeah. social media, if you use it the right way, which is to put out your message, to create um, uh, clarity about who you are and what you're about, not to listen or receive anything. It's just to give it out. You're okay. When you're trying to answer to all the social media or seeing what they're saying about you, you're, you're short-lived for the, whatever profession you're in. These guys have to live with that. When you were coming up, you didn't have to. You were at Pitt. You're not worried about social media. There was none. You didn't know. You're like, what are you talking about? So the other thing is the draft list. In football, you know you got to stay three years. In basketball, these kids have an opportunity after a year. And many of these kids grew up in pro poverty and generational poverty, generational, not just their family struggle. They've all struggled for the history of their family. 
And this is their chance to breathe through this young man. And this young man feels the weight of the world to be able to carry his family and his mother. And, and, and then you have Kentucky. And then you're 19, and you've never been in this. And, and I'm conscious of that, and I try to keep that in the forefront of my mind when I'm watching them and accept that this is a different deal. What's, what are the issues right now in your sport? I mean, what, what are the things happening in the NFL? Um, you know, kids coming in early. Um, you know, what are, what are things that you would say here are issues that we're dealing with in the NFL? Well, Coach, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I think we are light years ahead of where we were uh, 14 years ago when I got in the National Football League. I just think that with social media, the camera phones, things are a little bit more prevalent. Or people think they're more prevalent because they're out there seeing. But the, some of the guys I played with my my first and second year, I mean, were real bad guys, though. I mean, real bad guys. Uh, and the guys that are coming in now, they're so much more prepared, I think, um, to deal with things because they've seen it. Um, but I just think that they're much better athletes to me. I think they've given they've been given a lot more too early though is the problem and a lot of them have some entitlement issues and uh, I think they don't they don't uh, they don't know how to share as well you know these young guys so I think talent wise they're just just as talented as, as ever but uh, I think that they're a lot smarter in terms of the decision making process because they're exposed to it at a, at a much earlier age now. Is the league doing a better job of preparing than they did when you came in 13, 14, 13 years ago? I mean, of saying, guys, we better prepare these kids because we're, and I say kids because they're 20 years old, that yeah. they're going to be in environments that we better prepare them for. Are they doing a better job, the league? Coach, I don't think it's the league that's doing it. I think the message is being spoken at an earlier age. So these kids now in high school are held to a, a much stricter standard now because of, um, you know, this, this attention that everything is getting nowadays and colleges are doing a much better job of, of preparing these people. Uh, you know, when I was in college, we never had guest speakers to come in and talk about behavior or things of that nature. But now I go back and they have seminars all the time, you know, twice a year about things that you should do and things that you shouldn't do and behavior and not using drugs and things like that. So these kids are hearing the message earlier. So once they get to the, to the NFL, they already understand, obviously you're going to have some issues, but it's not as prevalent. I believe, you know, with our kids, we have media training. We put them in front of cameras and then show them back and then teach them. We have social media training. We have a person that comes in and takes their Twitter and shows the players some of the stuff, and they laugh like crazy. What would you send? You know what? Or they're you know they put a, a fake woman that's trying to get these guys and goes in and and shows them, you know, and it's all in house so they don't get damaged by it. But it's stuff that says you can't do these things, and here's why: um, mm-hmm. we have to. I mean, what what about this one? You know, there's the big deal right now about the concussions what like what would you say to a young young football players or parents um i mean you know this sport has been great to you you've taken care of your body um i think the nfl and 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 i'm telling you college football i mean all the the protocols and everything i mean you know tell me what what, what would you what advice would you give young players and parents 
I, I would tell them continue to let their children play football personally. Um, coach, you know what the, uh, the number one cause of concussions in the youth is? What activity it is? What you know is what that? It is? No. Everybody says football or soccer. The leading cause of concussions is actually riding bicycles. No parent would ever say, I don't want my son riding a bike or I don't want my daughter riding a bike. Um, you put a helmet on them, put some knee pads and some elbow pads on them, let, let them go learn how to ride. Um, and I kind of take the same approach with my son. He wants to play football. I'm going to make him wait a few more years um, just so he can develop physically. But some of the lessons that I learned as a child playing football are some of the things that I, I hold nearest to my heart. I mean, the teamwork. You know, never, fought, never, never laying down when you get knocked down. It's never okay to solve. You got to continue to battle and fight. Um, the, being able to rely on your teammates when you might not be at your best, knowing that somebody else is going to hold you accountable. Um, those life lessons are something that 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 have a, has a lot of parallels, not only in the athletics front, but when you're in the workforce, you're going to deal with some of the same things, and you got to be able to push through. So, the lessons that sports teaches, especially football, for me, I think are invaluable, and uh, and I would never want my children or any children to to not be able to have some of those great uh, things. That that what a great message. Then I got to ask you this: Where did you learn servant leadership? Where did you? Well, I mean, it just doesn't happen. I mean, it just doesn't poof. There's, there's a reason you are who you are. And the reason you're about servant, you're a leader, but you serve. You serve your team, you serve your teammates, you serve your community. I mean, you wouldn't have gotten a Walter Payton Award unless that's who you are. And it's not just about giving money. It's yes, about sir. giving time and it's about connecting. Where, where, where did that come from? Well, I'm just a I'm a byproduct of my parents, Coach. Uh, my, my mom and dad they always led uh, by example. You know, there's many times my mother she was in she was involved with a lot of nonprofit organizations in Minneapolis, and so we were always with her, engaged in these events and something that was a part of our fiber. You know, a part of our fabric of our our family that that we were involved in. It wasn't something that we had to do, something that we wanted to do. And now, as a man with the platform that I have, I know and understand that I, that I can, I can help change. I can help change policy. I can help um, improve the situation of people around me that are in need. And I feel like that's our responsibility as athletes, because when these children, parents go buy jerseys at the local sporting goods store, they're buying it because they believe that this person not only is a great athlete, but he's, he's a representative that I think is, is worthy of my son putting his jersey on his back. And that holds a lot of weight with me. I have a responsibility to those young people to lead by example. Your, your dad said he knew when you were 10 you'd play in the NFL. Um, and he saw his job of teaching you the mental side. Accountability being one, being a team player. I mean... I mean, how, you know, what, how did he instill that? What, what, what were things that he did? Well, my dad was a tough guy. He, he was uh, one of those guys. He never, never told you that he loved you. Never really was big on hugs and all those things, but you know, he showed you his love by the things that he provided for me in terms of the experiences. Like we talked about earlier, giving me and a chance to be around some of these these great athletes. And, and he, after he found out this is what I wanted to do, he, he, he set out to show me how I would need to work to get there and, and to reach my goals. He always made sure that I understood that education was important and, and character was something that was going to be a standard in our house that, that, that was not going to be compromised at all. I remember very young, I got in trouble. I uh, done something stupid at school, getting in a fight, and he sat me down and he, and he sternly told me, he, he told me, 
I don't want you to ever forget that you bear my name. You are Larry Fitzgerald Jr. So whenever you go out and do something stupid and foolish, it's not only a reflection on you, it's a reflection on me and our family, and we're not going to stand for this. And so at that point, very young, I understood that it was bigger than me. Decisions that I made and the mistakes that I made wasn't only going to affect me, it was going to affect everybody around me. And and it made me think on a, on a broader level uh, about how I want my represent myself and how I want people to think about my family. When you think of the Fitzgerald name and the Fitzgerald family, I want you to think of people who do it the right way and live by a certain, by a certain creed. Well, the, people are doing it. You went back to Pitt and finished up, correct? I actually finished at University of Phoenix. I just, you know, with two sons, it was tough for me to get back and take the curriculum and the courses um, that was necessary to, to, to graduate from Pitt. So I did online. It, it gave me a, a lot more flexibility. I didn't have to miss uh, too many of my, my children's activities and things of that nature. Um, that I love, great, I love Pitt. Um, I love Pitt. They gave me my, they gave me my start and, um, and they taught me a lot of wonderful lessons. But you felt an obligation. I'm, I'm getting my degree. My kids are going to know I have a degree. Yes. That's, that's exactly what I, so my same thing. You, you don't need a degree. I didn't, I didn't need a degree, but it's about putting in the work and letting them understand that it was important enough for me to do it the same way your your kids look at you when they come into the house and, and on the mantle, you see your degree. So dad took it upon himself to go and make sure he, he, he got his degree because it was important to him. Now, when I talk to him about the importance of education, it's not just me talking to them. They actually know that it was important to yeah. me and they knew that I went back and did it. Look, I, I, I've been a fan of yours. And again, from your Pittsburgh days, so I've been following you. And this conversation, um, 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 yeah, I just see how you are what you are, and and your legacy, all these awards, your legacy is going to be beyond that. Um, your your stuff and what you're doing and how you're being involved, it's it's what I'd want every athlete to look at. I say this: my tombstone's not going to have how many wins I have as a coach. It's going to have. That ain't going to be what is about me, at least I hope not. I want to be about more than that, and hearing you has inspired me even more. Let's finish up by talking about this. How do you want your to finish your career? You have every award, every record. I mean, uh, you know, and, and you know, what, what drives you now? I mean, what is, like you said, I've had to change. I've had to go more on angles and... I had to catch passes before the ball was thrown. I have yeah. to be that kind of player now. So what? Why? Why do you keep going? I mean, what moves you, and what is your, you know, the end game for you? Coach, I play for one reason and one reason only at this point. And that's to be able to be a champion. Um, it's the, it's the carrot uh, that I've been chasing for a long time. Is the one motivating factor that keeps me coming back, keeps me hungry, keeps me working. Um, and I, that's the only thing I play for at this point, coach. I, I, that's the only thing. And, uh, that's, that's the one that I just really hope I can get this year. And, um, I think it will solidify my career. And your team has gotten better. It, you, you guys are right there. I mean, yes, it's like they're, they're like four or five teams that have a chance to win it. And you guys are one of them. I, I, maybe there's more than four or five, but I don't think there is. Do you think there's more than – we won't say anything because I don't want you to make any teams mad, but do you think there's like four or five? I would say legitimately there's probably about 10 to 12 teams that, that wow. legitimately have, wow. a, have an opportunity. Yeah. Wow, because um, of you, injuries, you, because of other yeah. stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. I didn't I think mean, in those you, terms. You, 
you, you think of football is a little bit different than basketball where the team that gets to the playoffs is not the team that you open the season with on opening day. Your roster looks completely different from that because of injuries and things of that nature. It changes throughout the course of the year. And the teams that usually have success are the teams who have quality depth. you got to have guys who can step in and fill the role. Maybe they might not be as good as a starter, but they're serviceable enough that you can get by and win games with them. And I think those are the kind of teams that are able to to play well deep into the season when things kind of, you know, don't go your way. You know, it's funny. Bell goes down and D'Angelo stepped up mm-hmm. and played well, yeah. gave him a chance. Yeah. And that wasn't the yeah. reason. Bell being out was not the reason. And you're right. I didn't think in those terms. Well, yeah. Larry Fitzgerald, I'll tell you what, you inspired me today. One of the reasons I'm enjoying these podcasts is because I'm growing and I'm giving new new things to think about and different ways to approach things. So let me just thank you and tell you that, uh, um, can I just say it this way? You done good. How about that? You done well, good. You. And thank I wish you, you well. And, and I am watching. I want you to win that championship so bad. And I think anybody that listens to this is going to be rooting for you and the cards to go win one. Well, thank you, Coach. And I, and I feel the same way about you. It's, it's great pleasure to be on your podcast and I've long respected and and, and uh, admired everything you've accomplished and the way all your, your players ever talk to any of your players. I'm really close with Eric Bledsoe and, and, and book here in town and they just rave about you um, and the love that you show your young men. And, and uh, you know, I really respect that coach and uh, it's a great honor to be on here. We just got to find a way to find some better friends. You know, Greg is not a guy we probably should hang. I know. Hang no, no, no. Much, and, but, and he wants to play yeah. you one-on-one all the time. I'm telling him I'm I, old. Hey, I got two I, replaced tip. You coach, play him? I beat him bad. You, I beat him bad. And right, his sons, there though, you go. His sons are rooting for me too, coach. His sons <laughs> didn't even want their own father to win. I, yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. Larry, uh, I appreciate well, you. Thank well, you, man. Thank you, coach. Have a great day. All right. You have a great Bye-bye. day. Thank you. I hope it was everything you thought, Larry Fitzgerald. I mean, like I said to him, you done good. Um, the stories of his dad, tough guy. I mean, we all grew up. I mean, I can't remember. My dad tells me now he loves me every time I see him. Wow. He didn't tell me that when I was growing up. I was getting shots to the head and, you know, hey, sit down here and listen to me. Um, you know, every, I, I, I might, he may have hugged me one time. I think I was in bed sleeping and he came in and did it. So I understand all that stuff. But his background and what moved him and what gave him an advantage, being a ball boy and all that kind of stuff, think about it. I hope when you listen to this, you walk away saying, one, the way I see and think of Larry Fitzgerald is totally different now, not just a pro athlete. And the second thing is maybe some things that we all need to be inspired to do different. It did it for me. Let me spend a minute talking about my new book out, Success is the Only Option, The Art of Coaching Extreme Talent. Um, what I would tell you is there's nuggets in there, nuggets that I've used. There, The players talk about their experiences. There are situations that you can remember that we went through and how I dealt with them. Um, and, and there's truly, if you think, well, I don't want to have the best and the brightest because they won't get along, that's not true. Um, and let me say this, if you want to be a striving group, you better have talent. You can't just say, I'm going to coach them up. It doesn't work that way. 
So I would say to you, it's a fast, easy read. It's nugget-filled. It's uh, stuff that we've done here, lessons that I've learned over my years of coaching that are being incorporated now into what I'm doing at Kentucky, getting the very best players I can get who are good people, who are good students, who have stuff at stake now. There's things at stake, like hundreds of millions of dollars in contracts in the NBA, draft positions. How do you get them to share when that's at stake for them? How do you get them to feel fulfilled when they're trying to, you're trying to get them to do less, which ends up being more, but they don't see it that way? It's in that book, and I hope you enjoy it. Success is the only option, the art of coaching extreme talent. Pick it up if you get a chance. Thank you.